This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast with an interest in interest rates and likes to dwell on dwellings. I'm Andrew Page and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fool. That's a pretty good one for you. You like that? That's pretty yeah. <laughs> We've got a pretty low hurdle right there, <laughs> to be honest, though. Um, on the podcast today, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about the RBA. It made a decision on interest rates. Have a quick chat about that. That will lead us very nicely onto everyone's favourite topic, housing. What the, the barbecue hell? stopper. Uh, you just can't have a barbecue without talking housing. Indeed. So we're going to see what the hell is going on there, in particular with housing policy. Yes. And we're going to talk a bit about some management BS, cutting through the earnings season crap, some of the language that gets used, what does it all mean? But first, Scott, the yes. RBA, it meets every month. It does. Decide, this week. Decides what it's going to do with interest rates. All right, don't keep me in suspense, Andrew. What happened? Well, they did nothing. Oh. Well, that's a decision. <laughs> They decided to do nothing. I, I was on I was on Sky News Business this week with Carson Scott, who said mm-hmm. to me, "Do you reckon they actually are worth employing these guys?" The RBA. They sit there and every month they go, "Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing, still nothing." It's a decision to do nothing, mate. And what and what well, what would have you done? Would, would have you put it up or put it down? Oh, I. So here's my thing. I reckon <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking a podcast right now, and I'm about to say. What 95% of people listening to us don't want to hear me say, which I think rates probably should go up. Ooh. Exactly. This is... What do you got against ordinary, hardworking Australians? <laughs> Why do I hate mortgage payers? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Are yeah. you a mortgage payer? I am. And this is the thing. This is, this is exactly the thing. So oh, what people forget, because like rate cycles are really long, right? Yep. And we care about how much we pay every month. Sure what do. people forget... Well, older people will remember the interest rates of the 1990s, right? The 17% mortgage yeah, rates. Yeah. But people forget why it got to that level. And it got to that level because the RBA was too slow in getting its head around what was going on and fixing the problem. Yep. So what it's supposed to do is raise rates slowly mm. but steadily yep. to cool the economy and then drop them slowly but steadily to warm up the economy. That's, mm. that's its job, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's trying to keep us away from those big booms, the big busts, yep. and keep us in between. Now, if they leave rates too low for too long, they set the conditions for another one of those 17% rate rises in the future. So we're paying less now, but the, the cost of that is at some point, someone's going to come knocking on the door and say, hey, 17% is back again. Now, it's not going to get quite that bad, but that's the... That's the reality. So the RBA needs to put rates up as things get better. Yep. And if they put them up a little bit now, it saves them putting up a lot later. Okay, I get that. But <laughs> but, but the, the, this is the thing, you know, and it, you, you speak to any sort of baby boomer out there and they will remind you of the mortgage rates that they were paying. <laughs> Indeed. But the difference being is that the amount of debt that they had was was much much smaller oh, yeah. relative to the value of their assets or yep. the value of their income. So I would- They could afford to pay. I would posit that these days you actually- you couldn't. I mean, if you if the RBA put up interest rates two percent tomorrow, yep. we'd hit one of the biggest recessions we ever had. Yeah. But people would just be defaulting on their mortgages. House prices would be going through the floor. Bank stocks would be crashing. People would be laid off, and all the ripple effects that go with that. So they they, they are between feel good. They are between a rock and a hard place yeah. though here, aren't they? They they they. they I, I know that they they want to do it. U.S. interest rates are ostensibly going up. Mm. Um, they need to keep a little bit of powder dry for the next time they really do need a bit of stimulus and all of that kind of stuff. But they really can't do it too much because you know it, it, uh, they leave it too low for too long. We've got this problem of asset bubbles inflating further. They put it up, and maybe there's that unintended consequence of it not just sort of easing things back a bit, but easing them back a lot. And here and here's the, I, I know what you've done here, Andrew. You, you've, it's a very nice little trick you played on our, our listeners and me. You said, well. They should keep rates lower. They put them up 2%. Looks what's going to happen. There's somewhere in between. There is somewhere in between. And so that somewhere in between is where I think the RBA needs to go next. I think they need to slowly but steadily increase rates. Remember, this is an emergency low level. And that's what the other thing people forget is that the GFC sucked. Yep. And rates are now as low as they've, lower than they've ever been. 
yeah. effectively since World War Two at least. So yeah. that's seventy-ish years of hyper low rates, right? Mm. Sorry, the lowest rate in that seventy-year yeah. period are yeah. right now. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself: for how long should we have rates that represent the very lowest level mm. in effectively living memory? Yep. The, should they be a bit lower than than the past? Yes, because debt is high. That makes mm. perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But at some point, they're going to have to do something because if they don't, they risk basically, you know, overheating the economy. And we know what happens with cars that overheat. They have, you know, have to pull them over, put more water in them, mm-hmm. try and start them again. That's what happens to the economy. If, if things get too big, too bad, too quickly, mm-hmm. you're going to end up in trouble. So we'll we'll finish it up there. But just before you go, you you, you think there's going to be another interest rate rise, say, in the next uh, 12 months? If, see, <laughs> I'll, I'll be quick, but... People, people on, on, on TV and everything else are told, what, what would the RBA going to do? What's it going to do? Mm. There's two questions, right? What should it do and what will it do? And those right. are two very different questions. Okay. If I was the RBA governor and God help us all, I would be increasing rates towards the end of this year, yep. at least once, seeing what happens next and then re- reevaluating there. Yep. If I was a betting man, I'd say that I would almost bet they will rise at least once this calendar year, yep. but it's entirely possible it might be 2018 before we see rates on the move. Jeez. Oh, well, you? Uh, yeah, I, I think I don't. I think that there's probably a quarter of a percent, cha- um, quarter of a percent increase coming in the next twelve months right. or so. One thing I would say, without getting too too specific, when I sort of look into my crystal ball over the next few years, I see that there's there's it's just very difficult for them to materially increase interest rates. They're just just because of yeah. the consequences that that would have. So I really I'm still a believer in this lower for longer idea. Uh, which is probably good news. If, but not if, this level for longer, just lower than it would have been in the past. Oh, absolutely. Low, yeah. Lower than sort of typical levels. I've been waiting for Governor Philip Lowe to call me. He's not calling. He doesn't want my advice. Anyway. <laughs> He's too busy on the phone with me, man. I'm <laughs> telling him how to do his job. Oh, God help us all. Sell your houses sell, now. Sell. Quick. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, speaking of housing, so <laughs> how was that for a segue? Yeah, that's nice. We're it? getting good at this. Um, so everyone knows houses are too expensive, uh, right? <laughs> um, and uh, but the government wants to stay in power, so that, they've got yeah, this, it's easy, right? They, well, see, they want to fix this affordability problem <laughs> because people are complaining they won't vote for them. Well, it's, it's hard to buy a house it, right. if you're in Sydney or Melbourne in particular. It's really, 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 really hard to buy a house. And it's bloody government's their fault. And it's, the it's all their fault. And and they've and so they've got to do something. The house prices should get lower because they, you know that's the bizarre thing. Whenever this comes up, no one ever says like, "Oh, you know, call me, call me stupid." Many people do, and and you would say, "Well, isn't the there's there's only two logical ways that you can." fix affordability right either everyone gets a pay rise yes. so they can afford more the government's not going to do that or we can't right, right. or prices come down and, and, and which homeowner is going to vote for a government and, that and house prices so that in? that's the, so you've got you've got one roughly speaking <laughs> when you look at australia you've got about a third of people who own a house yes you've got a third of people uh who rent yes and you've got a third of people who are in a mortgage right so when I said so the, the first, first third, yeah. they, they own it. They own it outright. Got it. So generally, so you. So have government's got, got to work out who they're going to piss off. That's right. And right. there are two thirds of people out there <laughs> who don't want prices to go down. Right. Obviously. Right. And the first home buyers and you know everyone else trying looking in the market would love it if the market crashed by fifty percent. All of a sudden, you could afford a house. Right. Um, so they they're trying to sort of navigate this problem now. Victoria, they're trying to find the best possible. Po- no, they're not. They're trying to win votes. They're trying to win right. votes. Right. So if yeah. you're trying to do, if you so let me say, if you're trying to win votes, you'd mm. say, I don't want house prices to go down. Yeah. But I want to make housing more affordable. Mm. So I guess you're going to throw taxpayers' money around. You, you exactly. Hey, hey. And Am uh, I getting good at this you're or what? getting very good at this. And but the trouble is, it has all these really interesting um, slash crazy slash stupid. <laughs> 
Distortions. So what's the current plan? So the latest one, um, ScoMo actually came out uh, just recently and was talking about giving very low cost capital to private enterprise. Can I tell you what disturbs me slightly when mm. we call Scott Morrison our federal treasurer ScoMo? What's that? J, J Lo I can almost cope with. ScoMo just really freaks me out. So like the guy's the treasurer, right? <laughs> if it's just one of these, you know, ScoMo, JLo, bloody, yeah. you know, Benefer kind of names, it just, it just kind of freaks me out a little. Well, once you start saying it, you can't stop. That's, <laughs> that's the problem. All right. So, so we're going to give really low loans essentially to yes. private enterprise and they're going to therefore be able to um, build a lot more houses than they otherwise would. Right. And everyone knows it's about demand and supply, right. put more supply on, yes. housing becomes more affordable. Right. What's wrong with that? Well, who's going to build the houses? And really, is that government's job to be lending them the money? Well, this is the thing. I, I imagine that if you've been given lower cost capital, <laughs> you would think, well, now I don't need as oh, big a return yeah, as I otherwise yeah. would have. Right. Um, which, which means that I don't have to price the property as high, mm -hmm. which means that housing is more affordable. That's, that's how the logic goes. Oh, what, look, I, I kind of get that to some degree. I have to say it kind of, the, the problem we have is that none of this is the, none of this is the issue, right? The, the, the cost of how the. All you're doing by lowering the, the the cost of borrowing is reducing very slightly the return you want to make on that on that money. Mm. But if it's yeah, going very to cost, slightly. but if, but if the if the land costs you whatever it costs and the house costs you to build whatever it costs, mm. whether or not the price of that goes up and down 10, 20, 30 grand max to, yeah. to, to reflect the lower cost of borrowing, yeah, there's not that much money in it. If you if you sell yeah. a house and land package for a million bucks and you want to make ten percent return as a, as a builder and developer, yeah. You've only got hundred grand to play with in the first place. Yeah. Maybe that comes down by ten or twenty grand if your if your debt's cheaper. Yeah. But that doesn't change the story. Let's make a million dollar house worth half a million dollars all of a sudden. And it's the land cost that's the issue here, not the building cost. Yeah, right? it's crazy, isn't it? And I think the other issue that we have too is that, you know, we talk about housing, but, you know, there's, it's like the share market, right? There's very different sectors and segments yeah. that are out there yeah. as well. So if you want to buy a three bedroom house within, say, 15 kilometers of the city, um, you know, there's, like there's nothing you can really do there because there's no, there's no, there's no more land to be building houses, right? right? And, and so that's... you can release a whole bunch of stuff, you know, way out on the outskirts, yeah. sure, but it has no impact on the market on, in the inner city. I, I've said this before. I think we're all pretty much mad, right? So yeah. there's, there's only so much land available, as you say, in the city. Mm. There's so many houses available in the city. You know, mm. they're knocking some down and building up high rise apartments. If you drive down Alexandria sure. at Sydney, you've, you know, you've, you're confronted with these massive monstrosities that, uh, mm. Mr. Shrugiwoff offers has bought us from Meriton. Yep. But you look at that and say, okay, how do you, it's the fact that we all want to live there mm. and we're all trying to outbeat each other. If we all just sat back and said, this is ridiculous. Why are we paying this much for our house? Yeah. We'd all pay less. But when there's 15 people in an auction, yeah. who wins it? The guy who has the last dollar and the last bid at that auction. Yeah. And so as long as you bid more than the other guy, you get the place. Yeah. But if the other guy is bidding and you're bidding and you both want the place, that's how prices get silly. And this is exactly what auctions are supposed to do. Yeah. There are that many people who want to live in these houses, as you say. There's no more of them. Mm. If you want a two-bedroom unit in Alexandria, you want a three-bedroom unit in Turak, you want a mm. you know two-bedroom unit in New Farm in Brisbane. That's if that's where you want to live, you've got yeah. to pay the going going rate. Yeah. And the going rate is what people otherwise sitting next to at the auction are going to bid if you don't. And that's the that's the biggest challenge. We're all prepared to pay those amounts because we desperately want to live in those places. Mm. If we all said, you know what? How about we go and live out west, up north, down south, out east, mm. away from the city? Mm. Then the dynamic changes really significantly. Now yeah. we say, well, my job's there, my people are there, my family are there, my whatever. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. But that's the reality. There's X number of people and there's Y number of properties. Yeah. And the algebra doesn't work. Yeah. It's, I, I, I agree. I think that generalization is, is a bit um, dangerous. And, now, and Andrew, here's the other political solution. Okay. Hit me. 
How about we stop? We drop stamp duty for first home buyers. Well, Surely Victorians, that's the, solution. the Victorians have done this, and I, I for one, think it's a. Bit we've of, announced it at least. They've announced it, and I think it's a silly idea. So Tell me why. now, well, stamp duty is a significant cost, right? Yep. So and it, it's a barrier to a couple of percent, first home give or take. Buyers. Yeah, but yep. you know, for an average, you're, you're probably looking at anywhere between sort of 15, 25 grand, something like that. Right. Uh, so it's a really substantial cost. So if all of a sudden you scrap that for first home buyers, they can afford to buy houses. They can Everyone's happy. They they can afford a bigger deposit. They can now. Get in. And that's true. And look at that. You don't have to bring down the price of houses so the owners don't mind. Yeah, they First don't. First time buyers again, they all vote for well, you. It's the homeowners it's that are the selling that are, solution. are the ones who really benefit from this. The Hang trouble on, how, is, is well, the trouble is, is that uh, economic systems have a way of, of reaching equilibrium. So, Nerd the, alert. Rant, rant, rant. well, so let's say this happens, they, they, they get rid of it. Every single first home buyer now can afford a bigger house. Yeah, there you go. Everyone's happy. A better house, a, a, a more expensive house, I everyone, should say. There you go. So everyone can buy their houses. So everything. Happy. So this happened when we had the first home buyers grant. Do you remember? So we we all got these um, uh, bonuses, these extra cash, and all it did was distort the market. So so yes, we could all afford more, but then the market just hit a new equilibrium and prices just went up from there. And so it actually didn't do anything to solve affordability. Maybe in that three, six month window when it was first introduced, it had a bit of a, a, an effect. But after that, we've now just hit a new normal and we're back to where we started from. Because in the past, if you and I were bidding for a house, we were both afford to pay a quarter of a million bucks. Yep. We get a first home buyer's grant. Now we can afford to pay 260 each. Yep. And so it still goes to the highest bidder. Still goes the to the highest bidder. bidder. Just pays a little bit more than they would have previously. It doesn't do it. It's the same kind of nonsense as well. There's been some talk about, you know, letting people access their super. Oh. Yes, now I can afford a whole bunch more, but so can everyone else. And so the market hits a new dynamic or a new equilibrium and we're back to where we were, except with a much, much higher price. And it's done nothing to afford affordability. Any treasurer who lets people dip into their super to pay for houses should be taken out in stocks in the middle of the city. And we should throw tomatoes in. Yeah, they, they should be charged with blatant stupidity and banned from holding public office ever yeah, again. Yeah. Very, very well, worst, so, worst idea I've heard. So we'll, we'll move. Oh, God, we could talk about housing all day. <laughs> you could talk about housing all day. I've heard you. I sure I've, I've been on the other end of those conversations just quietly. Mate, like a broken clock, I will be right eventually. <laughs> like a broken... No, no. In the year 2047, I'll say, I told you so. <laughs> you will too. <laughs> totally There'll be a will. special edition of this podcast where both Andrew and I wheeled out of our immersing homes in front of some microphones for Andrew just to say, I told you so. So don't unsubscribe. Stay subscribed at some point. Point, your It'll iPhone happen. 42 when you, you open the you know virtual reality device there's a new new podcast new alert subscribe to my list wow this is going to around forever it's Andrew just it only took 40 years but I got there I was finally right well well what would you do <laughs> how would you how would you improve the affordability I think the problem is with the <laughs> here's the issue right when actually the affordability question is a in my view a largely moot point because we're not paying that much more to our salaries than we were a period ago, five years, 10 years, whatever. Mm. The prices are going up because the debt got so low. Mm. And the problem is, frankly, the die's kind of cast, I have to say. And I'm not yeah. someone who likes to think, well, bad luck, it's all over, there's nothing we can do. But mm. when you drop rates from five, or from 10, or 8% to 4%, let's pick two numbers, mm. you can afford to pay twice as much. You can afford to buy twice as much because the repayments are the same. Yeah. So when repayments fell, instead of repayments falling from three grand a month to one and a half grand a month, mm. People just said, "Great, I'll keep paying three grand a month, and I can afford a house that's twice as expensive." Yep. And that's kind of the that's kind of the root of the problem, right? So mm. you can talk about negative gearing, you can talk about capital gains, you can talk about uh, you know first time buyers grants and mm. stamp use and God knows what else. Mm. The problem is that people are going to pay what they can afford to live where they want to live. How mm. do you tell people you should choose not to want to live in the city? You should choose to live in the sticks. Now, some people love living in the sticks. I live an hour and a half out of Sydney. I'm very happy, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, you know that's great. But 
you know, someone who wants to live in the, in the middle of the city, when you say, well, the problem is you want to live in the wrong place, they're going to say, well, screw you. I want to live where I want to live and I want the house to be cheap. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen when there's a market the way it is. I'd increase supply to answer your question. Yep. I think I'd probably reduce the negative gearing benefits for investors to take some of the heat out of the property mm -hmm. market. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't get rid of it altogether. I think there's a legitimate scenario where you can save some money by paying up interest. I think that kind of makes sense to me to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what I would do is say, how do you get to the right place when it comes to housing? I think the answer has got to be, we were allowed to borrow too much. The other thing I'd probably do is reduce the percentage of the home you're allowed to borrow to buy, mm -hmm. but do that when rates are high, not when they're low. The very worst time to try and fix these problems is now because yeah. you've already gotten that situation. Unfortunately, the horse is kind of bolted. Mate. Yeah, I don't know so, what I would do either. I mean, I'm a big believer in, in free markets and all of that kind of stuff. So as, as much as I think that things should do this and should do that, right. I, I'd be tempted to just let things run its course. Markets have a wonderful way of sorting themselves out. I think the trouble is, is every time people get in there and fiddle with it, they distort the system. Yeah. And they're distorting That's it in right. a way that, that buys... It's the cane toad problem, right? It totally is the cane toad problem. It reminds me of that Simpsons episode where they had troubles with the oh, lizards. God, so then yeah. they brought in, then they brought in what, cats, and then they brought in dogs to get rid of the cats, and it went all the way up to bears. And, you know, it just... <laughs> I don't know why she swallowed the fly. That's, the, that's a better example. There you go. Um, so I, I don't know what I would... I, I, I guess what I would do is I would say, look, this will sort itself out in time, whether it's by a sudden thwack or by a, a, a gentle easing. Yeah. Um, but I would just stop twiddling with you know and, and 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 mucking around with that system and putting more and more and more distortions in because it doesn't have any impact no, no lasting impact it just makes it worse for everyone when i say worse for everyone it makes it worse for everyone who's trying to buy a house it's a wonderful thing if you already own a house and you're Ex looking to sell it except that you've got to sell and buy something else right so well, really, unless, unless, it's, an, unless it's an investment property yeah that's true that's true um, but if you live in it yeah totally get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m Hey, we're running out of time. Talk to me about management bullshit. Ah, oh, so can I say that? Well, we did. Well, you just did. I did. You okay. did. All right. Um, sorry, sorry. I, what I mean is executive bullshit. Exactly. I won't say the word. Management. Don't, don't say My management. apologies. Don't, don't say the M word. All right. Um, so we just had reporting <laughs> season. We have yep. it, we have it uh, twice a year, um, and we we were talking about this as well. So a company would come out. Hey, our sales are up. And our, and our profit was this, et cetera, et cetera. The trouble is... Profits are up. Profits ain't profits. Well, yeah, they, well, they are, because that's how much you've got left after you've... Well, there's, there's, there, this, is, this is where the accountants get very clever. <laughs> so I could say, look, our adjusted profit was up, or our underlying profit was up, our normalized profit was up. But the real Profit before was... significant and extraordinary items were up. <laughs> um, and that might, have a, that might be a very... And that's all true, right? Very, uh, totally true. Okay. And, but to a very, very different... Um, picture than what maybe looking at how much cash actually came into the business okay. or not. So, you know, Buffett talks on a, a bit about this. On an adjusted this. scale for the record, I'm a nine out of 10 for looks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's why this is a podcast, not a vodcast. Yeah, right. If you, yeah, it depends on what benchmark you want to use. <laughs> oh, it's adjusted. To, uh, adjusted. It's adjusted. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a solid three, but adjusted for the stuff that really makes me not look so attractive, I'm a nine. <laughs> You're a nine. Exactly. A strong nine. Problem solved. So Bubba talks a bit about this. Uh, he said, you know, when you talk about underlying earnings, it's the second part of that word lying <laughs> that is that is more important. Nice. So so what generally what you'll see here is a company um, uh, will strip out things that they regard as one-off, not likely to repeat and not likely to be reflective of what's really happening in the underlying Restructuring business. Restructuring costs, the cost of acquiring a new business, yeah. shutting some stuff well, down, we, well, we, we merged. We merged with another business. Right, we had right. to pay a whole bunch of advisors millions of dollars. Right. Which we, is one-off. We had redundancy costs with that. I'm going to do that it. once. You're only going to do it once. So that's... Until... Let's, let's, let's remove that so, so people can get a better sense of what this business is really doing 
after all of that kind of stuff is gone. That's fair enough, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. It is. Except when you believe management. Right. And here's the, so here's the challenge, right? What, what is it? The CEO is, is for better or worse in every single company on the ASX, the chief salesman. Yep. It's their job to sell you on not only the product the company makes, yep. but the company itself. Yeah. And so what the CEOs, every, and, and by the way, their incentives are based normally on either the share price or the profit. Yeah. How do you fix the profit? You change the underlying. How do you yeah. fix the share price? You increase the profit. Right. So if you can change the profit numbers and make it look better and make people love you, yeah. the share price goes up, you get your incentives, you, you go off on your boat in the Bahamas, yeah. everyone's happy except the poor bastard shareholder who bought at the wrong price because yeah. he believed your numbers. Yeah. Now, it makes some sense. Buffett, to Buffett's own point, right? Underlying, second point, lying, yeah, get it, all good. Buffett himself makes his own adjustments to earnings. Yeah. And this is where it's really important. Not, not Berkshire's, when he's buying something, he'll look at a company and say, what do I think the, the real underlying earnings? He calls it owners, is? owner earnings. Totally. So yeah. here's the thing. When you're buying a company, you want to buy the future earnings. Mm -hmm. And you want to make your own assessment of what those future earnings might be like. Yep. And so you absolutely have to make those adjustments. It would be, if I'm going to buy your business, Andrew, and you've just merged with someone else, mm. and you've had a lot of one-off costs, yep. if I'm going to buy that, I'm going to say, well, I know myself I'm not going to incur those costs. So yep. of course I should adjust for them. Yep. If you've done something else and you've, you've had some one-off costs, some one-off benefits even, by the way, you say, well, what's what's the real underlying business going to deliver for me? Yeah, and you want to—that's exactly what you want to do when you're buying shares. Yeah. You want to look at the underlying earnings power of the business over time. Yep. The difference is you want to make your own adjustments based on your estimate of the numbers. Management don't want to be any clearer with these numbers most of the time. Mm. Most of them they're trying to put things in the best possible light, and that should set the alarm bells off. Yeah. The Particularly really, if the way that they define underlying changes from year to year, which, which a lot of companies do. The, the best way, if you want, if you want to know which management you can trust, look for the company that has underlying earnings which is actually lower than the reported profit. Yep. They're the ones you know are telling the truth because they're saying, well, profit was huge, but we sold a business and made a, made a big profit on the sale of the business. Yep. That's never going to happen again. So yeah, profit yep. was up 400%, but the reality was earnings were only up two. Yes. yes. They're the ones you're going to go, you're telling me the truth because you're actually adjusting down to reflect that. The yep. ones that are already always adjusting up, always finding new one-offs every single year. Probably with one-offs, there's never one-off. Yep. You know, so it's, it's those guys you want to be careful of. So... I'm, I'm torn because I really, you know, the, the good management teams who say this is the underlying earnings part of the business, that's number I actually want as, yeah. an, as an investor. Yep. I want to know how much that company is capable of earning year in, year out into the future. Yeah. But it's the spin they put on it and frankly, the things as you say, they're trying to exclude and include that really should be the watch out for investors. And, and it's, it's, it's how they present it as well. So often you'll see a company, they'll report the number that looks the best and then it's on page 27, <laughs> right down the bottom where you see the raw number. I've got no problem with people talking about normalized adjusted earnings you know, whatever it happens to be, yep. as long as it's right up front with statutory reports here as well. And there's a clear explanation as to why that is. Yep. And I think it's also worth having a look at is what is genuinely one-off. So there are, you can only acquire a business once, <laughs> well, a, a given business once. Yep. But if you're a, if you're, and there's a lot of these kind of models out there where they call them the roll-up model, where you're just out there buying more and more and more each year, it's kind of hard to call that a one-off when that's pretty much the core of your business model. Yep. So I, I think it's, it's wrong of us to sort of get up here and sort of say, anytime you see underlying earnings, it's crap. Don't believe it. Yep. Absolutely not. Um, but, uh, you, you, you want to just have an understanding as how those numbers were derived, how any definitions have changed over time. What's it really telling you and our management being upfront with you in terms of the full picture here is in terms of what's going on. And that's it. You know, the, we, we don't rely on reported earnings, don't rely on underlying earnings, actually bring some nows to the table and say, do I believe them? Do I trust them? Does this represent the business's real underlying earnings? If it does, then great. If it doesn't, that's fine. But make your own adjustments as well. Don't just take management on face value because they will always, 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 or almost always, mm -hmm. put it in the best possible light to make them look better, not to make you the most informed investor yep. you can be. Yeah, very good point. Now, Thules, we were supposed to go on a James's mailbag question, 
But Andrew, as per usual, you, you spoke for I, too long. <laughs> you and I have banged on and banged on and banged on. There's no one listening anymore. They've already turned off. But in case they are, in case you are, sorry, James. James Sorry, apologies man. to you and for the listeners. We'll get there. We promise next week we will cover James's question. That wraps it up. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to Triple M Motley Full Money through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And as always, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating, or at least a four. And uh, I'm sure um, if... if uh, wasn't there a, a website as well? There is a website, and I'm I glad you mentioned that. you jump in because I always forget it. www.fool.com.au forward slash triple M. You can sign up to Motley Fool Take Stock, our free newsletter. You can hear from us and from our boss, Bruce Jackson, about all things investing and all things ASX. Nice one. Until next week, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.